Hi FM presents South African politics and news with the South African Institute of Race Relations. The IRR show, independent, relevant and real, is hosted by Big Daddy Liberty and Sarah Gon every Tuesday morning from 9 to 10, promoting life, liberty and property rights. Hello, how's it? Shalom. Welcome to another weekly installment of the IRR show. My name is Big Daddy Liberty and I'm in studio, of course, with the ever wonderful, the ever radiant Sarah Gon. Sarah, good morning. Good morning. Uh, my radiance has been dimmed by cra- traffic, I'm afraid. Uh, like uh, you and I both, uh, we, we both literally made it in the nick of okay. time for the show, but um, we're a little behind, so we're going to hop straight into it. Remember, this show begins by always looking at the the, the news that made the week. Um, you know, what were some of the interesting things that you had in mind? Last week, of course, I debuted the Big Daddy Liberty Show on Friday, to which we looked at the budget uh, 2020 speech. So let's uh, actually maybe begin there, sorry, in terms of saying to the viewers that look after the major break we're going to have a guest in studio Mr. Ian Crookshanks the chief economist from the IRR but before any of that Sarah a big news week wasn't it two DA members in the city of Joburg just say that's it it's quits we're joining Herman Mashaba well it's not as dramatic as that despite Jay and Joseph (laughs) of 702's uh, inclination to call it a sort of flood or a huge leakage or whatever terminology she used one is a DA councillor. The other is Paul Bowie, who who was on the campaigns and management team of, of mm. the DA. And he left the DA. He resigned because of their really lousy performance in the last election. And I think the other – sorry, I, I forget his name. but Funzan Gobeni. Yeah. He, he used to be the MMC for finance oh, when right. uh, the mayor right. was uh, – well, when Herman, sorry, he was still the mayor. <laughs> um, I think there's also talk about um, the – other senior manager in charge of the campaigns mm. last year who also resigned. So let's put it this way. Um, it's been sort of said, well, there's huge leakage of, of black councillors. First of all, it's not huge. And secondly, it's not all black. That's right. And the certainly the two uh, new white convertees, shall we say, um, are a little bit uh, controversial. Uh, yeah. You, you know, Herman Mishab is not going in with a sort of cleanly uh, – Competent, uh, well thought of, etc. Uh, yeah. Group of people. So I'm not sure. I think we need to wait and see a bit. I mean, I've been watching a lot of the chatter on social media on this particular point. With some people pointing out that in the year 2000, um, in the, the, the DA actually had a bigger exodus of mm. people. That was when that whole uh, floor crossing mm. situation was happening. And look at where the DA sort of bounced back mm. after that. So we have to watch that space mm. and see how the DA perform, especially mm. because, you know, uh, when you look at our politics generally, there really is a lack of intellectual diversity mm. in that party with the DA presumably being the only liberal party in that space. So we're going to watch that space, especially as liberals to see what happens over there. So I'm going to move on. Mm-hmm. Um, if I look at my notes here, the OECD, that's the Organization for Economic uh, Cooperation and Development, slashes the 2020 global growth out, uh, forecast over the coronavirus. Well, the significance of that is that it is absolutely the black swan event. I mean, yeah. no one has expected it, and it could throw everybody's predictions out, and I'm sure Ian will have a, a very firm and clear view on that one. Um, but what it also goes to, what it goes to show is that Predictions about how economies will go, whether they're a single economy or world economy, can be absolutely turned on their heads by something like the coronavirus. And I understand that China's growth this year is expected to be a miserable 5%. That's right. Now, I know we would 
throw ourselves off a cliff for 5%, but for China, that's a, a considerable drop in growth. And, of course, the impact across the world will be huge. Absolutely. I mean, I was looking at some of the, um, again, social media, wonderful space, isn't it? Um, <laughs> you know, there's a wonderful article which, which pointed sort of this aerial map, really, this small satellite map of China. Mm. And, you know, it... it, it this particular app, you know, tracks air pollution in, in, in and around the world, rather. Um, and China's airspace is perhaps the cleanest it's ever been for a very long time. It's, it's fantastic. But again, the genesis of it is the coronavirus. Right. So it's a weird trade-off, isn't it? You yeah. know, people breathing easy, but at the same time, not breathing easy because well, of the coronavirus. Well, I'd be interested to hear what Greta Thunberg has on it, because on the one hand, you have this huge virus, um, come, which came from sort of trying to, d- Destroy the wildlife yeah. of, the, of of the world by eating it, and on the other hand, it's had a positive effect of cutting carbon emissions. So I, um, I can just imagine Greta sort of looking the coronavirus in the eye and going, "How dare you? How, how dare, dare you? you? You stole my thunder." Um, let's move on. Let's Pe- move on. People, Sarah. people are dying. <laughs> <laughs> um, sorry, we're going to move on because um, you know we the, the the spending more on ESCOM and the South African Airways. Um, uh, just maybe explain those notes. Sorry, I, okay, I, I didn't yeah. quite catch that. No, basically, and this is this is I'm I'm not sure if I'm reading it correctly. This was this was Sora Poser's weekly letter. Yes, in which he said two things that didn't entirely make sense to me. We are going to cut costs to the public service not by retrenching anyone, but by gradually essentially awarding lower increases. Now, if we wait for that, anyway, on money we don't yet have and aren't likely to have. And and this will allow us to pump money into ESCOM and SAA, oh, which will pr- will produce um, positive results and will produce a saving of about 156 billion. I couldn't get it. I really could not. I couldn't. The math didn't work no, for me. That's terrible on this math. One. Um, I mean, we're reaching a point, aren't we, where even the most um, the, the ordinary South Africans, mm. so to speak, not that they're extraordinary South Africans, but. Um, the guy on the street is beginning to realize that just the numbers aren't matching. Who wins or who won out of that budget? Again, this is a question I sort of went into in, in last week's show. And I said, who was the big winner from budget mm. 2020? Was it the ordinary man in the street, the guy who's working really hard, maybe the guy who's unemployed looking for work? Or was it the usual uh, winner's circle mm. of, you know, the politi- political elites, the cronies, the tenderpreneurs? And that's a big question to answer when you then hear a politician like Cyril Ramaphosa, the, the supposed uh, reformer basically saying, yeah, we're going to keep the status quo and keep uh, pumping money into these SOEs. And that's where we'll make a saving. Um, What's worrying about this is it it seems to be typical Cyril in the sense that on the one hand, he's he's trying to save the the public sector. He doesn't want to lose people. He doesn't want to see them compromise on on their perks. And some of their perks are just extraordinary. Um, And yet he wants to put money into SOEs which... One we have to, and the other we don't have to at all. I mean, I, I, I don't. It suggests uh, an economic illiteracy. I mean, we're spending a lot on public servants. I mean, some Ooh. of the data I've seen is they earn on average thirty-four percent higher than individuals in the private sector. Anyway, we are about to head to our first break, but before we do, remember you can get involved in the conversation. Send us a telegram at zero six one eight nine five one zero one nine or an SMS if you're old school like me at three four five one nine. Guys, we'll see you after this short break. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008.
Hello, welcome back to the IRR show. As I mentioned before the break, we have a special guest in the in the building, a, a the chief economist rather from the Institute of Race Relations, Mr. Ian Crookshanks. Uh, without further ado, let me welcome him on the show. Ian, hello, good morning. Mr. Govizi, that was a thoroughly good welcome. Thank you. And welcome to it. Um, Ian, I'm going to hop straight into it because I think in terms of the economic news, in terms of some of the data that's come out recently, there's quite a lot of information that people need to sort of um, uh, chew on, so to speak. But let's begin where by, by tying it all together. Uh, a week ago, we, we literally had the finance manager, minister, excuse me, uh, Tito Mboweni stand on the stage and again deliver a, a budget speech for 2020. Before the break, we were asking the question, who won, uh, really in that speech? Was it the ordinary man in the street, the, the average Joe who's maybe feeling the economic headwinds at the moment? Or was it the usual crowd, really? The rent-seeking crowd, big business, um, corporate, or rather, um, uh, tenderpreneurs, that's what I was looking for, and the, the political elite. Who's winning right now, Ian? I would say it probably comes down to the political elite. Certainly, if you have to, if you have to look at the business sector, we can see by the pace of business, by the amount of activity that's been conducted by the business sector, by a simple thing as much as the, the, the amount of credit they're asking for. Just take this as an example. A year ago, credit demand was growing at 7%. Credit demand from the business sector only, 7% per annum. That's down to 5%. What does that mean? The business sector doesn't see opportunity for growth, for new investment, building new factories, installing new machinery, and, in, and getting the, the, the whole tempo of business accelerating. It's not happening, and I think that this is confirmed by the fact that it's not just slowing down. It's come to a stop, and, and, and the, the upshot is going to be there will be no new business, no new job creation. We're getting job destruction. And really, it's, it's almost going the same way as the economy. We're destroying it, and I think we're going to see something very interesting today. That is the GDP data for the mm. fourth quarter. And I, think, I suspect that this co- could come out a negative number, and then we truly are really stuck in the mud. It is a recession. Mm. Come what may, just look at the amount of business that's not being done. Mm. It's a recession. We've got to get used to it and a great deal of discomfort. We are getting to, going to have to get used to living at, in our discomfort level, mm. and that's going to be very unpleasant. Well, the, the really sad thing, because I want to just for a moment keep the conversation here about the ordinary man on the street. The very sad thing about when you look at the state of ordinary South Africans is we, we've been in recession, so to speak, yes. for a very long time. Uh, the, the average Joe has had to cut back, and we see this again you know, in, in everyday things. We, we had a conversation at the beginning of the year, Ian, um, on the Big Daddy Liberty Show when, when we basically said, what, what are things looking like post the December usual festive season yes. shopping? And things were very muted yes. back then. These GDP numbers, do you think they'll reflect that sort of, uh, that period and that, that sort of uh, slowdown really in consumer spending? Indeed. Just look at the monthly data. Just look at the results coming out from the big uh, uh, retail outfits. Mm. They, they really have slowed down. Go into any shopping mall uh, and, and, and walk around. You can see there's a dearth of people. There's certainly a dearth of people passing their credit cards across the counters. Yeah. Again, lots of to-let signs. But the one question I want to ask you, and there's a reason why I raised the issue of consumer spending, because you've made this point before. Consumer spending in this country is the lion's share of some some of the economic activity we have. Over 60% of all financial activity is consumer spending. Mm. Sorry, um, 
Ian, may I ask, I understood from from uh, analyses of the budget that over 60 cents in the rand is spent on on aspects of our economy that do not in any way affect or promote growth. So that essentially it's going to things, it's going to the public service, for example, it's going to ESCOM, it's going to SAA. All of these things are not directly uh, um, growth producers. So there's, what, about 40% odd or less that it can, it is actually available for use to actually try and grow the economy. Yes, and if you look at what, what is available and what is operating efficiently mm-hmm. in whatever area it is, whether it's the sale of goods or, or the provision of services, that's absolutely right. And, and I think that we've got we've, we've, what we've seen proven now, and it's coming out in the budget, we uh, operate at a huge level of inefficiency. And until we can get past that, until we can get used to the idea that we've got to work all day, every day, and that we've got to work for what we're, our labors are really worth, not us. The, the whole population, we're not going to become globally competitive. And until we can do that, we're going to be a, a has-been, a not noticed. Mm. And in the current global, uh, global climate with coronavirus dropping growth all around yes. the world, that's, ju- that's just going to become almost very much more difficult. Regrettably, yes, that, there's no doubt about it. The coronavirus is that sort of swan, black swan, I think you said, mm. that we were waiting for. We didn't know what it was going to be, but you could see the technical signals, the economic fundamentals were all, were all turning down. You mentioned China's economy. We think they may grow at 5%. That was before the coronavirus. Oh, okay. However, remember, it was only a few years ago when they were growing at 10 to 12%. Yeah. Wow. Mm. I mean, that was heady stuff. And, and you know, that's past tense now and what did it mean to us what it meant was massive demand from a, from a rapidly building economy for our base commodity exports mm. the stuff we do best of all what do we do most best of all we dig south up stuff out the ground and sell it as is in a non-beneficiated way that's that's our best uh, prospect we aren't good at turning gold and platinum and silver into jewelry although we've got the basic commodities here and i think that uh, until there's a global pickup and that's got to be sparked by china we're going to see ourselves dragging along at a very low pace. Ian, you are raising a very important factor, and I wanted to actually cross into it. It would seem, um, and I'm going to link the two points you just made now with, with this one, it would seem, if you, if you listened to the budget speech of 2020, that the rampant, you know, almost, you know, rapacious spending of politicians is not being checked. You know, we, we were almost told by, by the finance minister that, oh, you know, look at us. We're not spending as much as we're used to. This is a form of austerity, but really it isn't. When you then look at a budget, uh, deficit of 6.8%, over yeah. 300 billion rand that the South African government has to borrow in order to, um, you know, uh, meet its spending obligations, that's just not good, is it? It's not at all good. It's terrible, in fact. Mm. And the important point is that debt is not stabilizing. Mm. It's increasing. It's growing, really. Uh, And I think that uh, it's going to push us into what we can call as a debt trap, Mm. where what what we need to borrow to keep ourselves afloat is going to be more than we can utilize mm-hmm. those funds for. And, and really this is a, globally, it's, it's kept, it's, it's taken as a situation where you no longer become a, a, a reasonable debtor 
where you, people, you, you go to asking for loans, they say, how are you going to pay it back? I don't think you can. No, you can't have the money. Mm. And I think that this is the, the problem we're we'll rapidly facing. So we become more and more isolated, less and less efficient, and, uh, and with all the social problems that go with that. And there does seem to be a, 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 an international community that's beginning to pay attention to this. So after the, the finance, min, uh, finance minister de- delivered his budget speech, almost immediately the first rating agency that yes. came out and said this is absolute uh, disaster. Yes. Again, going against what the, the mainstream economists on TV were telling us. Oh, wonderful budget speech, <laughs> balancing the books and blah, blah, blah. But the, 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 there's a much... Uh, there's a better appreciation, I think, from the international community. Yes. Um, Fitch basically came out and said, we're not buying this. Um, mm-hmm. Our major concern is essentially uh, the spending and the debt. And Moody's then a week later came out, again, Moody's being the one I think everybody's watching, right. yes. because they're the only agency that hasn't downgraded us to junk quite yet, um, basically p- uh, saying we're very worried about the, the no-growth outlook um, that the yes. minister spoke to. Speak to me about the importance of these two Agencies commenting on our economy. Very important indeed. Uh, the, 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 the performance of our economy dictates the, the cost of our funding. If we're seen as a high-cost economy, inefficient, it's then taken that we'll want to borrow more, mm. be less able to repay it, and, and then we'll find that we're backed into a corner. We will have to do as the lenders say. Mm. Will we get there? I don't know if we're quite ready for that, but what happened uh, 20 or 30 years ago, we, we found ourselves in President P.W. Boota said, we can manage without the rest of the world. Boy, when we needed some credit, we had to go back, tails between our legs. Mm. That is where we're going. And the longer we wait, and this is the problem, the more difficult it gets to access that funding mm. and the more costly it becomes. And I think that this is where we're going now because you're going to get the fact that business then can't access capital. Mm. They can't grow business. They can't improve it. And we can't provide jobs. We can't provide, we can't provide the revenue from, from corporate, uh, from corporate earnings and for personal earnings, which is needed for government to tax. So government's going to run out of sources as well. I think that this is going to happen probably within the next year, maybe a little longer than that, but the longer it takes, the worse the situation gets. Mm. And that is what Moody's and Fitch and, and S&P are telling us. Mm. I, th- I think uh, basically a lot, of most, a lot of us are essentially saying this budget really kicks the can down the road. Yes. And it's... <laughs> It's, 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 it's frustrating because it's more of the same. I mean, yeah. and uh, we were talking about, uh, uh, President Ramaphosa's responses to, to the unions and how things are going to work. But the fact is that we're in a situation where starting a series of negotiations over, with the unions over things isn't going to be enough. And it's, it's regarding the unions as almost the only constituency out there because yes. they're both a constituency and a partner. Yes. Um, but, I'm just looking at a, a headline, a heading to an edit, editorial by the Business Day editor, uh, Lucanio Mnyanda, saying budget matters little to citizens who live with collapsed services. Yes. And isn't that really the point, is that whatever is happening in the budget, good, bad or indifferent, collapses, uh, sorry, services are just continuing to collapse. And there have been a lot of demonstrations and uh, service delivery protests recently, increasingly around two issues. ESCOM, electricity, and water. 
Absolutely. And just look where you see it uh, rippling through to. Look at the state of some of the roads we drove through to get here this mm-hmm. morning. Mm-hmm. You know, not, not potholes, craters. <laughs> really, uh, I think that what, what does that So what does it mean to the average big truck driver? It means he takes longer to get to his destination, to deliver his load, to get the whole circle of business activity moving, and it slows everything down. And really, the, the, the settlements are going to take longer. Uh, I think that, uh, th- th- that it just is symptomatic of an economy which is going, not quite stopped, but very close to it. There is, Sarah is actually quite right. There is a conversation also to be had about the union generally yes. in terms of their influence on economic decisions. With the central question being who governs? Is it the democratically elected um, government, whether you agree with them or not on policy issues, or the undemocratically uh, positioned unions who wield a lot of influence on the union buildings. Let me be precise and specific. After the budget speech, the unions almost immediately came out, Kosatu in particular, mm. came out and said, this means war. They declared war, mm. um, you know, basically citing, uh, the, the proposed cuts here and there. I mean, not, and by the way, there weren't even that many. Yeah. Yet. <laughs> um, but they basically wanted the status quo, the idea that the government spends to the hilt, especially those who are, you know, the, uh, the coalition now of, of public, ser- uh, public service unions, who are the biggest unions now. They're the ones who are saying, no, how dare you even suggest that there should be a freeze on the rise of incomes or et cetera, et cetera. Ian, why are we pandering to unions in, in such a manner? I can go on with what you just said. How dare they take that sort of attitude? Mm. It's, it's completely impractical, and what it's doing is condemning their own, their own supporters, their own support base into, an, into a time where there will be fewer jobs. Mm. There will be fewer opportunities for the unions themselves. And perhaps we're going to see a split between the ANC and the unions. It's very difficult to, to imagine that happening. But what other chance is there? What you've got, I looked at, listened to the budget, and I said, but he's still spending that 160 million. Mm. It's not saving it. It's being spelled, it's spent elsewhere. Mm. It's, it's been, it's been thrown down big black holes called ESCOM and mm. SAA. Mm. Where's the money coming from? Mm. I just don't see where it's coming from. We're not, uh, we, the country isn't earning anymore. The country's economy is slowing down. There's less revenue to attack by SARS. And I, I think that what we've got to say is, uh, we, we, we rapidly, we correct in pointing out that we're heading for a huge dilemma and the, and the solution is not obvious. I mean, essentially, sorry, just to pick this up, it's an, it, it's people, it's a groups talking in an echo chamber because it's, it's, it's the government talking to the uh, Kasatu. Kasatu is a is a is a part is an ally mm. of the of the government. It is government by default, as I, as I would say, and essentially you have only pri- public sector unions involved because and they are the Kasatu unions. So mm. it's, it's everything is within, 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 and the problem is that the public is likely to show really very little um, concern or sympathy with the with the public servants for two reasons. One is they do earn over 30% more than the private sector. They earn it from taxes. They are not, they are not generating that money on a, yeah, they're not generating it's growth. It it's purely a, consumptive. Yeah. Um, and what they're doing is they're arguing with the, with, with the government about 
we insist that you keep spending their money to the same extent on us. Mm. And that, that ultimately has got to see a backlash, even if they're sp- sitting in their echo chamber talking about it. And Ian, before you chime in, I, I really wanted to add a little further co- context to Kosatu has only 1.5 million members. That is less than 2% of the entire population of South Africa. And really, if you look at it in the context of the workforce, the overall workforce, it's just under 10% of the overall wo- workforce. Why? I mean, I'm asking you maybe a more political question, yeah, and, and feel free to to not answer it if 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 if, if you do not want to. But it 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 does beg a belief that in an economy that is demanding um, small to medium enterprises, that is demanding a, a a relaxation of the cumbersome regulatory burden, why are we pandering to unions that are demanding the status quo and they're not they barely even ten percent of the workforce, uh, Ian? I can't answer that question. <laughs> there's no, there's no comfortable answer. Yeah. But what we have to say, at some stage the unions have got to notice that their members, never mind their members, their community are saying, you know, I'm hungry. I had a man who used to work in my garden some, a couple of years ago, and he came to visit me and he said, could you please help me? I'm hungry. So I said, well, we can find some work for you. He says, please sir, this is Tuesday. Since the Monday of the previous week, he hadn't eaten. Mm. Now, you know what, we, what we're doing is, is, are the unions, is the, is the party not noticing the social backlash? I think you mentioned a, a backlash. That social backlash is going to happen. Angry people become angry people. Mm. Angry people demonstrate, possibly violently. And that is really what I fear most mm. of all. Surely the president and his party colleagues should notice that. And surely those pushing him into power, that is the labor unions as well, must notice that. Otherwise, they're, they're looking at their own demise in the foreseeable future. And that would be a nasty war that they're talking about. Can I ask, as I recall, uh, um, the minister talked about the implementation, the, the, uh, Implementation of a sovereign wealth fund He didn't mm. elaborate and I think he uh, might have just said yeah. it To satisfy an audience rather than Actually do anything and the SACP Has welcomed it mm. now anything the SACP Welcomes you know is a bad about. Idea <laughs> but surely here's, a, here's, a, here's an ignorant question Surely you have to have wealth To have a successful <laughs> Sovereign wealth fund I mean we We talked about it last week that the Norwegians have it Yes but then it is They've a wealthy country wealth. They've, They've got, got mass, wealth mass and high, su- high employment Massive and, supplies of oil Yeah you know, uh, but what's interesting, look at the wealth they have, and they're one of the most expensive places in the world to buy petrol. Yeah. Yeah. Why? Because they've taken those benefits, they've clouded back into production, into productive capacity, and done very well out of it. But you mentioned the Sovereign Wealth Fund. It, first of all, it needs a capital injection. Where's the money? Well, there he, isn't any. He mentioned, he done. mentioned a couple of sources that really sounded kind of a little bit here and a little bit there yeah. and a, a bit like the BRICS Bank. Yes. But on a much smaller scale. Well, I, I think the ba- major concern, and uh, you know, I, I must just quickly say we we're going to head to our uh, ad break just now. We'll, we'll have you back on stu- um, Ian after the break. But he did mention that 30 billion rand would be put into it as initial capital. But a lot of economists were wondering why are we devoting 30 billion rands to that when we could have been servicing debt, for example, much more useful things, uh, or even just spending on actual investment. But um, hold that thought, everybody. We're going to go to an ad break. After the break, we'll be in conversation still with Ian. Crookshanks, as we maybe ask him, what should have the budget looked like? <laughs> IFM 101.9 megahertz of life.
Molo Sanbonani, hello, how's it? Welcome back to the IRR show. We are in conversation with the IRR's chief economist, Mr. Ian Cruikshank. Before we get to that, remember, you can take part in the conversation. Maybe you are wondering how the budget will affect you. Maybe you sort of saw some things in there, you're like, hmm, this will really help my family. Or hey, let us know. Get involved in the conversation. SMS us in the studio at 34519 or send us a telegram at 061 if you have any questions for Ian Crookshanks, now is the time. Send it through. Um, Ian, we're going to come, you know, uh, there's a point before the break we made. Um, uh, just as a final say, really, on the so- Sovereign Wealth Fund before we move on, um, th- there's something really scary um, that the average South African listening could have maybe put together uh, w- upon hearing this. You, and I'm going to link something else, sorry, before I actually, before I lose my, my train of thought. The other announcement made by the finance minister was that there's going to be a state bank, another SOE, basically. Now, you've already established in, in the earlier parts of the conversation that we're throwing money down, we're throwing money after good, excuse me, we're throwing good money after bad money, essentially, in trying to save these state-owned businesses, um, which are always in the red, which are always heavily in debt. The idea, therefore, of forming a state bank, how different will that bank be to any other bank? What's the benefit, if any, of a state bank, Ian? I suspect that the possibility is that it's like the Reserve Bank. That's looked on quite greedily, I think, by by, uh, by, by politicians who say, look at it and say, there's 50 billion dollars, dollars, real money, 50 billion dollars sitting in in, in ours, ours. Is it, is it this? Yes, it belongs to the country. It's not, doesn't belong to the people as such. And I think there's this un- misunderstanding as to who owns it and why is it there. It's there to facilitate the, the, the settlement of tra- international trade between South Africa and its trading partners. If we, if we had to dissipate that and we found ourselves without it, we wouldn't be able to trade anymore. Mm. Found ourselves in the same position that, 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 that happened under the previous dispensation. They ran out of money, they ran out of creditworthiness, mm. and that's what would happen to us. So the thought that we should have a state bank, no, I just think there's a possibility, there are those who see it as a possibility of attaching some of the funds to their fingers and withdrawing them for them to suck out. And I'm I'm very concerned about that. Mm. We should uh, take the the present governor of the Reserve Bank, the Secha Kanyaka, a fine person, absolutely absolutely strongest possible moral standards and technical abilities. Mm. That's all that we need. Why talk even of the fact we may need another governor? That's a terrible idea. We know he's got the strength, the ability, and could carry on. And I think that uh, there's nobody else has proved they could do it, especially amongst the politically elite, as we could call it. Mm. So, no, I think the same thing comes to the channeling of more funds to SOEs. You know, if we had just made it easier to do the business we're currently doing, take the mining sector, take platinum, take look at gold hearts going thundering up now uh, from a thousand to fifteen hundred dollars an ounce there's got to be a lot of earnings that could have been taxed platinum did even better than that the, the, these sectors instead of being hindered in the oper- in the operations should have been assisted and think of the source of of uh, revenue that government could have got from then we could have kept escom alive now there's a thought mm. There's a lot to be said here, and I think you're spot on, Ian, even if you don't want to say it directly, but there is the sort of the kleptocratic, greedy politician looking at these institutions and saying, why are institutions important when I, the big man politician, am important? And, you know, 
goody goody gumdrops, here's all this money in the reserve bank. How about we form a state bank which can channel that money our way? It, it's, it's a really dangerous place to find ourselves, isn't it? Look at this private bank that, they, that, 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 which lent money amongst others to the previous president. Yeah. You know. The BBS. With, yes. That was looted too. Mm. Of course it was. Mm. The, the, the issue of bad loans, uh, and, and, and loans impossible to recollect, uh, is, is huge. And so who, who were the gainers? Those who had access to the funds, and that is a really, I think, what, what, what people recommending a state bank l- consider that they'd like to get their hands on. It's a terrible idea. It's a hopelessly inefficient utilization of capital and should not even be considered. Ian, before I ask you what the sort of alternatives could have been to this budget, I want to bring it down to the microeconomic level for a second. Two weeks ago, I was livid on social media. I did episodes on this story as a, because it was such a microcosm for the bigger issue. A young entrepreneur in the cities of Johann, in the uh, streets of Johannesburg, uh, selling sandwiches and muffins and coffee, you know, to corporate South Africa. Young entrepreneur, a guy who basically said, look, this is my last 800 rand. He, he had just lost his job, I think. But instead of wallowing in it and looking to government for help, started a business and it's a thriving business mm. now, which makes him 20,000 rand a month. In some cases, that chap, that young man had the the state, the long arm of the state basically bear down on him, confiscate his stock um, and basically uh, treat him like a common criminal when he's the actual antithesis of what a criminal is. Is the entrepreneur in South Africa listening? Did he listen to the budget speech and say, this budget speaks to me, it'll assist me as the young entrepreneur? No, he didn't. He just saw the threat of further uh, regulations. We are getting regulated out of our future. And this is is one of the problems that we see. Um, I think what we need to do is to say, uh, and they didn't do this, was to say, if you have an opportunity of making a thousand rand a day or whatever it is, selling goods on the street, whether it's a plate of tomatoes, whether it's sandwiches made up at home, whatever it is, give that opportunity, give that entrepreneur the, the chance to go and establish themselves and only start taxing them when they're making a certain break-even level, when it's 20000 a month, whatever it is, mm. and let them just go go unfettered by re- over-regulation mm. until that stage. It, it, that, that is what we missed entirely. There's no... There's no the no freedom to trade, essentially. Mm. That's it. And it's no good saying we're open for business. We close up these business avenues. Mm. Ian, in the last three minutes... The top three interventions, perhaps, that should have been announced had you, for example, been the finance minister. What would you, what would you have prioritized? What should we have heard from that budget speech? First thing, I would have removed some of the regulatory barriers there are to setting up new businesses. Yeah. Secondly, I would have removed the rest of the barriers. That was it. But yes. That would, that would be enough. That would be enough. And, and, and I assure you, the banks would say, oh, here's a whole new avenue of business. Let's help. Of course they'll help. They're in the business for, for helping themselves by helping others, by providing that credit. And that is the, the, the avenue that I would have gone down, and I saw little chance of that. It's no good saying we're going to set up multi-billion rand new, new edifices and say this is going to be the headquarters for a new bank. We don't need any more. We've got enough. We can operate with what we have if only we could be allowed the efficient utilization of the capital and abilities that we have. Mm. That is Ian Crookshanks from the Institute of Race Relations. Um, Ian, before I let you go, just one quick question. Um, will This will be a bit of a cheeky question, but I want to get your, your view on this. The ordinary South, Af- South African listening to us now, will he or she have extra rands in their pocket at the end of this year? 
Regrettably not, mm. because there will be fewer people with jobs to have money in their pocket. Mm. And I think that that is what we're going to see. We'll see it confirmed later today when you see the latest GDP data. Uh, there's going to be job destruction and not job uh, creation. Uh, really, I, I'm sorry to say that this is reality, and it's about time we faced it. Mm. Can, can I just mention one, there is one area of good news, and it has nothing to do with the government, and that is the maize crop. Yes, yes, that's fantastic. You know, looking at an estimate of 16 million tons, I can remember the worst red that I ever saw it's a decade or so ago was, I think, uh, under 8 million tons. That just says we can feed the nation, basically, mm. and that's very, very important. We can also feed the neighborhood. Mm. And, sure. you know, we won't get paid, but at least we can, we can stop <laughs> social outbreaks, social uh, disasters there as well. And this, this matters a great deal. Mm. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Mr. Ian Crookshanks, the chief economist at the IRR. We'll see you after the short break uh, to look at the week ahead. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. Guys, welcome back to the IRR show. Remember the last uh, 10 minutes or so, we always look at the news week ahead. What should, what, what you should be sort of paying attention to and really, um, who the newsmakers may be going ahead. Um, sorry, let's, let's jump straight into it. I think the biggest one that we need to be watching now, every South African really should be paying attention to is the expropriation of our compensation hearings, which now will be big begin. Remember, this was at the point mm-hmm. of the bill going through parliament. Now they're going out into the communities. Uh, Seeking to garner the opinions of ordinary people. Talk to okay. me about this. This, this is the next stage. This is the final stage of the process before they decide whether to, um, uh, what, what the wording should be to amend the constitution. I have a little question mark about, you know, what, consulting over the wording to amend the constitution. So the, the whole issue is, is fraught with the whole range of horrible things. But obviously the political parties are going out to address their members, which is their right. But there is some concern that the, that there's, in, there's sort of actions in place by, by parliament to give advice to, to ordinary people about Almost how to conduct themselves them. at the hearings. So it's going to be interesting because while I think there will be people will be, shall we say, bust in with a, with a standard uh, response, um, I think we're starting to see a bit of response from people like the farming community who will go as individual farmers into hearings just to say it, it's, it's a bad thing for this reason and the next guy will say it's a bad thing for that reason. Mm. And that is their right. That, and and we, we need to see a much more a combination of those things. The other thing that uh, we're looking at is we were hoping to get the business rescuers report for SAA by mm. the end of February. Mm. It's now been kicked into mm. touch well, nothing to touch. It kicked into the end of March. Mm. Now, whether it's been kicked into the end because of the amount of work required or because there are political considerations to deal with, we'll yet have to see. And they're not directly related, but something that have a, 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 could have a very big impact on South Africa nonetheless, of course, is the uh, democratic nomination process for the Democratic Party in, in, in America. Um, it now looks like it's really down to... Sanders is certainly the front runner, but not by the sort of percentages that he should he, he really needs. Yeah, but that still worries me, though. And that Biden is coming okay. up from behind. And then what the others do, the people who are um, who have fallen out of the race, or the people who are still in the race but not in the front, where they throw their support, yeah. will have an effect on who ultimately becomes the, uh, the the candidate. I mean, that should worry any 
person sort of, you know, even if you, you don't necessarily support or follow party politics mm. in America or any, anywhere else really, but it should worry you that the front contenders for the Democratic Party in America is a Jewish individual who actually hates the fact that he's a Jew in, in essence because he associates himself with anti-Semites and people who run organizations in um, America that are openly anti-Semitic. Like mm. Bernie Sanders is just an Absolutely rubbish candidate, aside from the fact that he's an actual red in tooth and claw communist. Can you imagine that? <laughs> America literally has and may have a presidential contender who's an actual commie. Well, well, let's put it this way. Um, two things that I think should turn you, should turn anyone off. The first is that he, he, <coughs> excuse me, he honeymooned in the Soviet Union. That's crazy. Now, I mean, not my idea of a romantic honeymoon. And secondly, whenever he's asked, what, how the, how his programs are going to be paid for. All he says is the state will pay. Yeah. Poor old uh, Pete Buttigieg, who's now out of the race, kept trying to ask in one of the debates, Bernie, what are the numbers? I mean, and what gets, are the numbers? And the numbers were nowhere to be found. I mean, it should scare you that this guy literally, if you look at his political career, I mean, he's, he's celebrated by so many sort of mainstream pundits as, oh, this wonderfully consistent guy, but he's consistent in nonsense. Mm. Um, I mean, this is a guy who's been celebrating communist dictators all his life. So we're going to watch that space and we're asking the viewer to watch that. And, uh, guys, let me say thank you very much to everybody in studio. Sarah, always good to be with you on a Thanks. Tuesday and always good to be with you, dear listener. Remember, you can find all the news, analysis, and opinion on our website, the dailyfriend.co.za. Make sure you go over there. You'll find Ian, too, on that space. He has a daily podcast uh, rounding up economic news. Guys, thank you so much for watching the IRR show. My name is Big Daddy Liberty with Sarah Gone. We'll see you next week, Tuesday at 9.